0: Yeshua, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah, God, we come before you today, Lord, we are needy people, God, we are in need of your presence in our life, and God, we say, speak to us today, and help us to change our ways, Abba, that we would be those, Lord God, who flourish in your paths, Abba, that we would be those who carry your presence with us. Lord, that you would help us, God, to overcome all the schemes of the evil one. And Lord, I pray that you would go before us, speak to our hearts, change our lives. In Yeshua's name and God's people said, amen. Um, The title of today's message, if you like titles, is Destined to Prevail. Oopsie, there it is. Um, And... It's based on our Haftorah, which is found in Yeshayahu chapter 54, verse 11 through uh, 55, verse 5. Life is not easy. Who would attest to that? And if we look at the pages of scripture, we can see great examples of those that have gone on before us who have endured many a struggle and prevailed. We think of the likes of Joseph and the hardships he endured that produced deliverance for Israel and for the nations. Then there is Moshe who dealt with his fair his fair share of Kvetching and Soros. Two million Jewish people. There was no lack of Kvetching and Soros. We could go on and list Naomi, Job, David, Jeremiah, and Rav Shaul, of which God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, which says it all. He endured hardship like no other. So as we consider this passage of Scripture today, keep in mind that in your struggle of life and faith, that you are in good company. A long line of men and women who struggled and overcame. So I'm going to reread our Haftarah portion, um, part of it. We're going to look at verses 11 through 17. Storm ravaged, and if you're like that translation, it says city in um, parentheses, but city is not there in the Hebrew. So it's really storm ravaged and unconsoled. I will set your stones in the finest way, lay your foundations with sapphires, make your windows shine with rubies, your gates with garnet, your walls with gemstones. All your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great peace. In righteousness you will be established, far from oppression with nothing to fear, far from ruin, for it will not come near you. Any alliance that forms against you will not be my doing. Whoever tries to form such an alliance will fail or fall because of you. It is I who created the craftsman who blows on the coals and forges weapons suited to their purpose. I also created the destroyer to work havoc. No weapon made will prevail against you. No weapon made will prevail against you. Selah. In court, you will refute every accusation. The servants of Adonai inherit all this. The reward for their righteousness is from me, says Adonai. Well, first off, I want to say, and here's my first point, that you are not a victim, you are a warrior. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, You are not a victim, you are a warrior. It says, storm ravaged and unconsoled. Afflicted one, storm tossed, unconsoled, says another translation. Rashi, the great Jewish scholar, said this. This is how he translated that verse. He said, tempestuous one whose heart storms with many troubles whose heart storms with many troubles. Anyone relate to that? As we start to look at this passage, it's important to note that this passage is speaking to Jerusalem as well as to the servants of God in general. And we know that from verse 17. And I also want to say, be prepared to change your mindset today. Be prepared to change your mindset. It's easy to get worn out and wearied by the many storms and trials of this life of faith that we live. Some in this very room feel battered, beaten down, and torn from life's storms. Some almost to the point where they feel that they cannot continue on in the fight. I believe this exhortation from the prophet is very, very timely. And we need to consider seriously what he's saying. But in order to hear it, receive it, and respond to it, we must have the mindset of a warrior and not of an unconsolable victim. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, it says that, it's, that he will, speaking of Satan, he will speak words against the Most High and try to exhaust the Holy Ones. And it's referencing the end of days, of which the Brit Hadashah says that we live in the end of days. And it says that what Hasatan will do is he will try to exhaust the Holy Ones of the Most High. Take a guess who those are. You could wave at me because they are you. (laughs) You are the Holy Ones of the Most High, the Kedoshim. He will attempt to alter the seasons and the law, and the Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. One author writes... God has been speaking a great deal about understanding strategies in spiritual warfare. Most believers, if they are serious about spiritual warfare, tend to do so by the seat of their pants. For them, spiritual warfare is like occasionally confronting a bully on the playground in elementary school. They are aware of the event, but are never aware of the long game of warfare. Strategic warfare is a concept that is foreign to them. Unfortunately, the enemy is quite familiar with strategic warfare. In fact, it is the only game he plays, says this author. He goes on to say, what is the end result of this? Most believers approach spiritual warfare slash life. If you wonder what, gee, I don't know if I engage in spiritual warfare. Guess what? If you're living life as a believer... You're engaging in spiritual warfare. They approach it like they are either playing checkers or even worse, dodgeball dodge He's just trying to get out of the way of all these different happenings that are being hurled at them. Satan always plays chess, writes the author. He strategically weaves things into the body of Messiah and society, hear this, over decades or even generations. This is one reason the moral majority has become the minority without a clue. It seems that we have entered, he says, into a new stage of warfare that is bringing pressure from all sides in the lives of believers. Spiritual warfare, it's real. It is a reality. And if any community of people should understand this, it should be us. Quite frankly, as a Messianic Jewish community, we know about the endless persecution of our people since the very beginning of God calling us, right? I mean, the Jewish people, we should understand that Does it ever strike you? Why in the world is the world obsessed with a little strip of property the size of New Jersey? These Arab nations that have a hundred times the land volume are concerned about that little strip of land. It's a spiritual battle is why. In Messiah, that assault or onslaught would have only increased and not decreased. When we can change our mindset from a victim to a warrior, we will be better able to adapt to the things that come our way. You see, in seasons of severe trial, the believer, this is a... A quote from Spurgeon has nothing on earth that he can trust in. And there is therefore, he is therefore compelled to cast himself on God alone. When he is at his wit's end and no human deliverance is available, he must simply and entirely trust himself to the province and care of God. Happy storm that wrecks a man on such a rock as this. O oh, blessed hurricane that drives the soul to God, to God alone. When the believer is burdened with troubles so pressing and so peculiar that he cannot tell them to anyone but God, he may be thankful for them for he will learn about, more about his Lord than at any other time. O oh, tempest-tossed believer, it is a happy trouble that drives you to your Father. Now that you have only your God to trust in, see to it that you put full confidence in Him. Do not dishonor your Lord and Master by unworthy doubts and fears, but be strong in faith, giving God the glory. That is a powerful summation of what we as believers should live our lives of faith like. Storms come into our life. Matter of fact, Yeshua tells the parable, when the storm comes and beats against, right, the house, and he gives us several foundations, the one that is built on the sand... Which represents the one that is not built on the rock of the foundation of faith in God. And then he gives us the one that is built on the rock, the rock of God's principles and ways in the Messiah. And he says, when the storm beats against the rock, it survives. But when built on sand, the house is destroyed. So, in wrote, be rightly related to God. Find your joy there, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Some might wonder, why does God let the storms ravage the righteous? Well, in Tehillim eleven and five, it says, "Adonai tests the righteous." Listen to this series of rabbinic conversations. Rabbi Jonathan said, the potter does not try the vessels that have been made imperfectly because he does not not doubt that if he strikes them even once, it will break them. But he tries the fair vessels for however many times he may strike them, they will not be broken. So he strikes them to show the purchaser how strong and good they are. Thus God does not try the wicked, but the righteous. And their trials show their virtue to the world. In this way, the Lord tried Abraham. Rabbi Jose bar Hanina said, This is like unto the weaver of a fabric. The more he strikes at it and cuts at it, The more it is praised, and the more does it acquire a good name. When he knows the fabric is bad, he does not dare to cut it even once. For fear of tearing it, the Holy One, blessed be he, does not try the wicked, but the righteous. Behold, this may be likened to the good man of the house, who has two heifers, one healthy and strong, and the other weak. On which of them will he put the yoke? It is not upon, is it not upon the healthy and strong one? In like manner, the holy one, blessed be he, tries the righteous. Why does the storm beat against the believer? Well, military leaders do not send soldiers out to be victimized by war. No. They send out those that have been prepared to be battle-tested and prevail. See, they have confidence in the preparation process of the warrior to go forth and not be victimized by war, but rather prevail in war. This is especially true of God. You are not a victim. You are a warrior. And that mindset is important to have as you face, because if you don't, when trials and struggles come your way, we tend to have the woe is me woes. When we have a victim mentality, oh my goodness, it's happening again to me. But when we have a warrior mentality, we expect that at any turn around any corner could be an ambush or an attack or a scheme of hell working to take me out. See, when we're a warrior, we don't think it odd that we have trials and struggles and troubles. We expect them as if, could you imagine, I have a nephew that is going to be leaving to go to Afghanistan. And right now, he's in training. Matter of fact, his position is he's the point man. He's the first guy in. With the the big machine gun, that's the the job he got. Well, do you think that um, right now, he is um, wondering that his time over in Afghanistan, if they can have like a swimming pool, or what the amenities are like, or perhaps he'll catch a little R&R there. No, he's going with the expectation that this is going to be an all-out war, and I want to get out of there with my life. Well, in the same way, we are not victims. We are warriors of God, expecting that at any turn, at any time, things could come our way, and if we have that mentality... Guess what? We will be prepared to fight against it. Number two, from this passage, because the first one was unconsoled, that victim mentality. God is trying to console them, yet they're unconsoled. They can't receive it, victim mentality. But God says, don't be unconsoled. Number two, get ready to receive God's help. How many people are ready to receive God's help? Like an eager recipient of aid in a war-torn land, we must be ready to receive. And this requires trust in God. Now listen to this list. I will set your stones in the finest way. Lay your foundations with sapphires. Make your windows shine with rubies. Your gates with garnet. Your walls with gemstones. Ladies, Not too bad, huh? All your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great peace. In righteousness, you will be established far from oppression with nothing to fear, no fear, and far from ruin, for it will not come near you. This promise says that help is on the way. How many people are excited about that promise. This promise says help is on the way. How many want your windows to shine with rubies? Who wants their children to be taught by and serve the Lord? Who among us wants to be free from fear and free from ruin? Of course, it sounds great. The way to access and the way we access that help is by being in and remaining in faith. While we wait, we must be expectant that help is on the way. Another quote from Spurgeon. You know, I was inspired because I read several of his works and as I was preparing the message, this jumped out to me. But listen, but wait in faith. Express faith. Hear this, your unstaggering confidence in him. For unfaithful trusting, waiting is but an insult to the Lord. Believe that if you keep waiting even until midnight, yet he will come at the right time. The vision shall come and shall not tarry. Wait in quiet patience, not rebelling because you are under the affliction but blessing your God for it. Never murmur as the children of Israel did against Moshe. Never wish you could go back to the world again. Hear that, some of you. Never wish you could go back to the world again. I want to tell you, the world has nothing to offer you. But accept the case as it is and put it as it stands, simply and with your whole heart, without any self-will, put it into the hand of your covenant God, saying, I will wait until you stay the floods or drive back my foes. I will wait if you keep me many a day, for my heart is fixed upon you alone, O God. And my spirit waits for you with the full conviction that you will yet be my joy and my salvation, my refuge and my strong tower. Friends, that is waiting in faith. We sang it today I will wait for you. Yeshua, you're the sun in my. Horizon, what's that? You're my hope. Right? The sun is going to come up again tomorrow, I guarantee it. Call me a prophet. The sun's coming up tomorrow. I will wait for you, Yeshua, because just like the sun comes up in the morning, you are going to come for me. Listen to this poem. I'm not big on poems, but I thought this one was cool. I will wait, or here it goes, I just, Lord, you have faithfully shown me so many times before, and this time is no exception, Lord, and simply can't be ignored, that you know all that concerns my life, everything your eyes do see. You always come through at just the right time to meet my every need. For nothing escapes your watchful eye, no problem that we may cross. But so often, Lord, it seems as though there's a delay in your response. I know it's a testing of our faith to wait so patiently. You stretch us so our faith may grow, though we want it instantly. But it's for our good that you respond in your time, not in ours. For if you didn't, we'd stay as infants getting everything right now. For us to grow more Messiah-like, we need to learn to wait. For often, that's the answer to prayer and builds us up in faith. So I thank you for the answer to come as I hand it over in prayer. Thank you that you're still working on me and my breakthroughs drawing near. That's how we wait expectantly on God. God, I thank you that in this affliction, your breakthrough is near. God, I thank you and wait in praise of who you are, even in the midst of the storms of life and the onslaught of hell, Maybe in our modern even in our modern age of conveniences, by the way, waiting is still a big part of life, isn't it? Right? When we think of waiting, what comes to mind? How about the visions of an airport terminal? Well, you're waiting, a doctor's office, a waiting room, the line at the supermarket, being stuck in rush hour traffic. We understand when you're driving home from Manhattan in rush hour traffic, how many of you understand that it is what it is? <laughs> you could have a temper tantrum in the car. You can. You could stamp your feet. You could roll down the window and yell and scream. But guess what? You're going to wait all the same. But yet, with God, sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes. It is what it is. And God wants us to learn and wait patiently. Maybe you're in a job situation that's really tough to endure and you're waiting and hoping that conditions change for the better. Maybe you're without a job and waiting for news of a hire. Maybe you are ill or a loved one and you're waiting for your health to improve. Maybe you're on a diet and waiting to drop a couple of pounds and your health to improve. Maybe you're a single person and you're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, Or maybe you're waiting for your spouse or child to become interested in spiritual things. The simple fact is that in spite of even our modern age, waiting is a part of life. In the natural, and it is certainly a part of life, spiritually speaking. And what God wants us to do is what we sang in that song. I will wait for you. I will wait for you, God. And in my waiting, I won't be in doubt and unbelief. I won't think that you have abandoned me or forsaken me. I won't think that there's anything wrong. I will simply Tehillim 130 says, I wait, listen to this verse, I wait longingly for Adonai. I put my hope in his word. Everything in me waits for Adonai more than guards on watch wait for the morning. More than guards on watch wait for the morning. This imagery says it all about waiting in faith. Think about a guard on his watch. Waiting and expecting morning to come for his shift to end, right? Guess what? It's coming, but if it's 12 midnight, it's going to be a little bit, but he knows it's coming, and he is waiting expectantly for that morning to come, for his shift to end. That's the mindset of patiently waiting on God. God, I know it's coming. So, get ready to receive from God because help is on the way. So, think about it. You're a warrior, not a victim, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I am a warrior, not a victim. And as a warrior, you are ready to receive because help is on the way. Help is on the way. Think of the soldier in the field they're on a little talk box waiting for help. Yes, they're in the thick of the battle, but they know that they are tied to HQ and their commanding officer. And here's my third point. And I get these points right from the scripture. You will prevail. What do you think of that? You will prevail. It says, no weapon made, No weapon made will prevail against you. In court, you will refute every accusation. The servants of Adonai inherit all this. The reward for their righteousness is from me, says Adonai. The trials and struggles of the life of faith can seem overwhelming at times. If we make the mistake to look with only the natural eye it can appear to us, that some things that come our way are insurmountable. To this, God responds, no weapon made, no matter how intimidating it looks, no matter how outmatched you appear, no weapon made against you will prevail. Everything and everyone that can possibly come against us, think about this, God created Everything and anyone that could come against us, God created. So although they might have a chance of prevailing against us, if God were not on our side, they can never prevail against us while God is firmly fixed in our corner. It is with this in mind that we could be rest assured that we are safe from all manners of harm. Having this confidence is important for us and it is not misplaced confidence, folks. It's not misplaced confidence because you're good enough. Because I already hear it in my spirit. But Rabbi, I'm not really doing that all well with God. And my walk with the Lord leaves something to be desired. And I don't know if I can really claim this promise for myself. No, no. It's not misplaced confidence in our own righteousness. It is the ability, our ability is in God alone and our confidence is in him. It says in court, you will refute every accusation. And here's how we know this verse is for us. It says the servants of Adonai, doesn't say Jerusalem, right? It says the servants of Adonai inherit all this for their reward, for their righteousness is from me says the Lord. So listen to me. We will prevail. However, we must learn to win the battleground of our minds. And in this passage, it says, you will refute every accusation. Doesn't it say that? What does hasatan mean? Who knows? It means the accuser. And what does he do? He accuses you before God, and he accuses you to your face, through your thought life. And look what it says in Revelation 12 and 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come God's victory, power and kingship, and the authority of his Messiah, because the accuser of our brothers, who accused them day and night before God. Say that, day and night. Day and night, day and night before God has been thrown out. I want to tell you, Hasatan is spiritual being, Right? He doesn't tire. And if we wonder why the darts and fiery arrows of hell seem like they're unrelenting is because he doesn't stop day and night but accusing us that we're unworthy, that we are so far away from God because of our actions and based on our own righteousness and based on the conversation we had with our spouse and the way we spoke to our children and because we blew it at work and because we're this, that, and the everything. And he accuses us and uses every single thing that we do wrong against us. And he tries to convince us that you are now Disqualified. You can't even really, if you think of it, you really have no right even asking God for a single solitary thing because after all, man, do you ever take a look at yourself? We have the tendency as human beings to agree with him. And we say, yeah, perhaps it's not going to work for me. And What does that immediately do? Bring doubt and unbelief that God's going to help you. So this is what we must recognize and we must remember what God's retort is. He said, you will refute every accusation. The servants of Adonai inherit all this. The reward for their righteousness is from me, says the God, says Adonai. The last part is a must get in order for us to live victoriously. Their righteousness, what does it say, is from me. Isn't that what it says? Their righteousness is from me. It's not from you. Your righteousness is disgusting. My righteousness is as filthy red. God is not interested in our righteousness. If we could be righteous before God on our own, we don't need God. God is only interested in someone totally righteous, specifically made righteous by the Messiah and his shed blood. And when he sees you through Messiah, he says to you, your righteousness is from me. I have imputed, you've heard that term, righteousness upon you because of what Messiah did. I'm telling you, we could easily be fooled if we fail to factor in the redeeming blood of Yeshua that has become our righteousness for us and that we are the righteousness of God in him. You see, if we look at the accusations without Messiah we would be inclined to agree with the accuser. But in Messiah, we could refute every one. You see, we look at every accusation that the promises are null and void for us because of our shortcomings in light of the precious atonement of the Lamb of God. This is the second of seven consolations, right, of Isaiah, leading up to the high holidays, this particular passage. And God is wanting us to know that we don't need to fear because he is fixing to provide atonement, right? We know he already has provided atonement in Messiah. And he's consoling us. In him, all God's promises are yes. All God's promises are yes for you. Every single one of you in this room, all of God's promises are yes to you in Messiah. But here's, it says, but we say amen. We say, God, I'm agreeing with you about your promises for me. You must agree with him. That's all God ever really looks for us to do, doesn't he? Agree with me. Agree that my ways are higher than your ways. Agree that my laws are good for you. Agree that the ways of the world are evil. Agree with me and walk in them. All the time, basically, God is saying to us as his people, Agree with me. He's saying, say amen. Amen. To my laws and statutes, to my ways. This is really important. If we're going to prevail, and I believe we are, we need to have a warrior, not a victim mentality. We need to be ready to receive God's help because it is on the way. And we must understand that no weapon formed against you will prevail because God has made you righteous and worthy in Yeshua. And it is based on those truths that we could live a victorious life. Friends, it doesn't mean all your problems go away. It doesn't mean all the struggles cease. No, I have changed from that thinking. I expect them, in fact. But with God's help, I'm going to overcome. Right? I expect they're coming because the enemy is always scheming up something. But I expect in God I am going to overcome and I am going to prevail. You need to expect the same. Amen? Amen. Baruch Hashem. God is good. Destined to prevail. I want you to think about that. Your destiny is to prevail. Prevailing has that connotation of endurance, doesn't it? Right? That you're going to prevail for your time here on earth, however so long that you are blessed to live here in faith in God, God wants you to prevail in your faith. He wants you to be unwavering, unstaggering. He wants you to be um, understanding that though attacks come and trials and struggles come your way, that they are not going to impede you in any way, shape, or form, that you're going to go forward in God and prevail to the victory. That is a mindset that I can't make you have, but that's the mindset you need to have because that's who we are in the Messiah, right? We are destined to overcome. He says it so many times throughout the book of Revelation, you have overcome and will overcome. That whole book of Revelation is a symphony about the believer overcoming challenges in life. And the great reward that we will reap in that day is beyond the mind's imagination. And God wants you to know that, that he is on your side. He is helping you and will help you prevail in your struggle today. Let's stand to our feet. Avinu Markenu, our father and our king, we thank you, God, that you have seated us with Messiah in heavenly places and you have given us everything we need for life, for life and godliness. That's what your word says. God, that you have given us everything we need to prevail in this life. And Father, I pray today, God, that you would sear it on our hearts. God, that you would grace us Father, to have the right mindset to live this life in a way that we prevail every single hardship and obstacle that comes our way. Father, that we would have a mindset that we are here to overcome. We are here to gain the victory for your kingdom. Father, that not only would we benefit from it, but others would also benefit from it. So, Father, I pray, God, for each person here today that your grace would be upon them in a strong way to live a life, Lord, in victory, filled with your joy and your peace and filled with your hope. So, Father, I ask it that you would bless each one in Yeshua's name. Stretch forth your hand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, I pray... Your peace that surpasses understanding would guard your people's hearts and minds in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Baruch Eloheinu Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who by his word brings about all things for us to enjoy. Amen. Thanks for coming. Shabbat shalom. We have an oneg upstairs, coffee, bagels, cookies and things like that. So please be sure to stop up and shabbat shalom.